conscientious workmen crouching over some delicate nighttime task. They found virtually nothing in the pockets a packet of black tobacco and a tray of cigarette papers, a box of matches, a nondescript penknife, a key of a not very recent design, a pencil, and a handkerchief with an initial on it. Some loose change in a trouser pocket, but no wallet or any means of identification. Murs removed the man's suit carefully, piece by piece, and put each one in a bag made of waxed paper, which he then closed securely. He then proceeded to do the same with a shirt, shoes and socks. All items were of average quality. The jacket bore the label of an outfitter's on Boulevard Sebastopol, which sold ready-made clothes. The colour of the trousers, which were newer, was not a good match. The dead man was naked when Dr. Pohl arrived, beard neatly trimmed and clear-eyed, despite being called out in the middle of the night. Now then, Maigret, what does this poor man have to say for himself? Because it was now all about making the dead man talk. It was routine. Normally, Maigret would have gone home to bed and would have found the various reports on his desk the next morning. But this time, he insisted on being there for everything, pipe in mouth, hands in pockets, bleary-eyed and half asleep. Before he could proceed, the doctor had to wait for the photographers, who were late. Meurs made the most of the delay to clean the corpse's nails, hands and feet thoroughly, collect the smallest fragments, and put them into small bags, on which he wrote cabalistic signs. "'It won't be easy to make him look chirpy,' observed the photographer, after inspecting the dead man's face. It was all still routine work. First, photos of the body and the wound. Then, for publication in the newspapers for identification purposes, a photo of the face— which had to be made to look as lifelike as possible. That is why the mortician was busily applying makeup to the dead man, who, in the ice-cold light, looked even more deathly pale than ever, but with rosy cheeks and a mouth painted like a streetwalker's. All yours, Doc? Are you staying, Maigret? He stayed to the end. It was six-thirty in the morning when Dr. Pole and he went for a coffee in a little bar which had just opened its shutters. I take it you do not want to wait for my report. Tell me, is this an important case? I don't know. All around them, workmen, their eyes still full of sleep, ate their croissant, and the early morning fog pinned pearls of moisture on all their overcoats. It was chilly. In the street, pedestrians were preceded by thin clouds of steam. Lights went on in windows one after the other on the various floors of the houses. First... I can tell you that he was a man from an ordinary background. He probably had a poor childhood and was not particularly well looked after, if the evidence of bone and teeth formation is anything to go by. His hands do not indicate what kind of work he did. They're strong, but relatively well cared for. He was probably not a manual labourer, nor a clerk either, because his hands show no traces, however slight, of the deformities which reveal that a person has spent much time writing, either with a pen or a typewriter. On the other hand, his feet are sensitive, with low arches, which points to someone who spent most of his life standing up. Maigret did not take notes. The details were etched in his memory. We now turn to a crucial question. When the crime was committed? I can say without fear of contradiction that it took place between eight and ten last night. Maigret had already been informed by phone of the statements made by the late-night revellers and of the sighting of the yellow citron in Place de la Concorde shortly after one in the morning. Tell me, Doctor, did you notice anything unusual? What do you mean? 
The doctor with the almost legendary beard had been a pathologist for thirty-five years, and he was more familiar with criminal investigations than most police officers. The crime was not committed in Place de la Concorde. That's obvious. It was probably committed in some out-of-the-way place. Probably. Usually, when people take the risk of moving a body, especially in a city like Paris, they're trying to hide it, to make it disappear, or at least to delay the time when it's found. Oh, you're right, Maigret. I hadn't thought of that. But in this case, on the contrary, we have people prepared to risk being caught, or at the very least giving us a lead, by dumping a corpse in the middle of Paris in the most highly visible spot, where even in the middle of the night it could not remain ten minutes without being found. In other words, the murderers wanted it to be found. That's what you're thinking. Am I right? Not exactly, but it doesn't matter. Even so, they took some...